turn with me to Isaiah. I promise we'll get to Nehemiah. Isaiah uh, chapter 43. I just want to read a few verses. Uh, this will make sense when we get into the passage this morning. I was uh, praying for us this morning, uh, getting ready uh, for today, and, and God has, has me in the middle of Isaiah, and this is some of the verses that uh, the Lord gave to me as an encouragement. I pray it's an encouragement to us this morning. Um, I'll read it, and I promise, hold on to these verses. We won't get back to them today, but they'll be in you as we read through Nehemiah chapter 6. It says this, But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Uh, he goes on to say this. He says in verse 3, For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Verse 4, Because you are precious in my eyes and honored, I love you. I gave men in return for you. Peoples in exchange for your life, fear not, for I am with you. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I founded and made. May we be blessed by the reading of God's Word this morning. We are in Nehemiah. You may be seated. We're in Nehemiah chapter 6 this morning. I promise those verses will come back uh, to us as we go this morning. This morning's message is the strength of the Lord. If you've been with us, and if you haven't been with us, you're free to go online. We do have a new website. It's up and running. Go check it out. It looks amazing. And all of our previous messages are online. Um, we are in the middle of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is all about God using a remnant of people to rebuild walls so that the people of God can have a place to worship. And we're in Nehemiah chapter 6. Nehemiah chapter 4, Nehemiah chapter 5, and Nehemiah chapter 6 are all about this one word, opposition. And now again here in Nehemiah chapter 6, poor Nehemiah, he can't catch a break. Right, in chapter 4, we see these men... Uh, Simbalit and a, a, a few other men come and oppose Nehemiah for the work that he's doing to rebuild the walls so that the people of God can go back to the temple of God to have a place of worship. So they come with a great deal of a discouragement to Nehemiah. And then last, uh, in chapter 5, we looked at Nehemiah as having opposition from within the camp. So not only is there times in our lives that we see in Nehemiah that people come to us outside of the people of God to discourage us from doing the work of God, sometimes within the house of God, there's discouragement to get away from doing what God has called us to do. And God has called us the same way God called Nehemiah to rebuild the walls. First, we must rebuild the walls in our own lives, in our own hearts. We must protect ourselves to be able to get to a place that we have an ongoing relationship with God, that we would build those walls in our life, those walls being intimacy with God, reading God's Word, prayer, community, all the things that will enable us to do what God has called us to do so that therefore we can go and be the people of God to help rebuild the walls of the city, this city here in particular. We believe that God has a purpose and a plan for this city he did 140 years ago. I believe it's still true today. And his plan has always been the same. It's that people would have a place to worship a holy God. Amen? 
And God's called us to live on mission with Him to do that. First, it must be uh, in our own hearts, in our own lives. And we will face opposition over and over again. When God calls us to something, there will always be opposition. Let me say that again. This is not, uh, you're not going to go find this at Hallmark or in Kroger on the card aisle. You're not going to go find this, but it's true. There will always be opposition in your life if you're doing what God has called you to do. I would tell you this, and I'd say this to myself first and foremost. If I am not in opposition today, I need to check my own heart to see if I'm being obedient to what God has called me to. If you are not facing opposition today, it may be because of your disobedience. It may be because of my disobedience. If we look at the man, God, Christ Jesus himself, from the moment he came to this planet to the moment he left this planet, he always faced opposition. He always faced opposition. God's called us to the same. We are no more special than he is. There will always be opposition. Again, here in Nehemiah chapter 6, we go back to Nehemiah, where again, a third straight time, a third straight uh, chapter, Nehemiah faces opposition. And we will see this morning what happens in us and what must happen in us uh, as we face opposition. We're going to look at the opposition, uh, three things. First, in verses 1 through 4, the distraction. 5 through 8, the deception in uh, verse 10 through 14, the distress. Three Ds. And we're going to look at Nehemiah's response, but we're also going to look at our response in those three things, those three areas. Here's what I do know. It's found in uh, um, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Though we do face opposition, I believe this to be true. It's what Paul says. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. God has called us to live on mission with him to do good works. The good work for us is to know Him and to make Him known. That is the good work that God has called us to. To which God prepared beforehand that we should walk with Him. God has called you to Himself as a believer so that you are His workmanship to take what He prepared for you years and years and eons ago to take the Gospel of Jesus Christ to wherever you go. And this is the beautiful part. This is where Isaiah falls right into this. It's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 24. He who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. Let me read that last line again. He who calls you. You've been called, if you're a believer here this morning, God has called you from death to life. Just the same way that Nehemiah was called as a king, in the king, as a cupbearer. Hey, Nehemiah, I want to use you. I want to call you out of being a cupbearer, and I want to use you to go rebuild the walls. God had that on Nehemiah since the moment Nehemiah was born, that God would use Nehemiah to rebuild the walls so that the people of God would have a place to worship God. That same is ringing out true for us today. But here's the deal. He who calls you is faithful, even when you are faithless. God is still very much faithful today. As he was 141 years ago, as he was 1,400 years ago, as he was 14,000 years ago. God is faithful, and he will surely do it. 
So this morning, we can rest in that. You see, the strength of the Lord is resting in that He will surely do it. Now we go to Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Here's the, here's the deal. When God calls you to something, write this down. When God calls you something, there will always be opposition. Always. And here it comes to Nehemiah again. Here we see these three men again that appeared in chapter 4. We see them again appear in chapter 6. Now, when Sambiah and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies, he's saying, here's these three guys, but here's all of our enemies too, heard that we had built the walls and that there was no breach left in it, though it was up at the, t- <clears throat> at the time, has not up to the doors and the gates. Sambiah and Geshem sent to me saying, come, let us greet together and meet together at the plains of Oh No. Anytime you get a city that says, oh no, you don't want to ever go there. Hey, let's meet at the city of Oh No. Oh no, I ain't going to do that. That's a corny Bible joke, just to let you know. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent a messenger to them saying, I'm doing a great work. Underline that in your Bible. And I cannot come down. Underline that in your Bible. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? Verse 4. And they sent to me four times this way. And I answered them the same manner every time. The first thing that we see how opposition can come to us is through distraction. You you see, back in chapter 4, they had come through straight up slander to Nehemiah. They came to slander him. They came to make fun of him. Remember, they said to Nehemiah, Hey, Nehemiah, you're building this wall. Will even a fox be able to run across the wall and the wall stand, they made fun of him. And so now they said, hey, we're almost at the very end of this wall being completed. We're almost there. The wall's almost completed. And the, these enemies think, hey, we got to get to them before the walls are completely completed. Because if they ever get completed, then we know we're in big trouble. Because then the people of God will have a place to worship God. If they worship God, they'll have the strength of God. If they have the strength of God, they'll come out and attack us. So the enemies of God said, oh, no. Let us go and distract them. And so what does he say to them? What do these guys say? Distraction means this, to divert attention, to bring division. And so what is the distraction? The distraction was simply this. Hey, let's go meet with Nehemiah. That's what he tells us in verses 1 through 4. Let's meet with Nehemiah and let's talk to Nehemiah in such a way that he thinks we're coming to encourage him. And yet Nehemiah, it says, no, they... they, wanted to harm me. You see, when we do the things of God, there will always be distraction. Another word could be there will always be temptation. You see, it happened at the very beginning of Genesis chapter 3. From the moment that the people of God, Adam and Eve, were on mission with God to be faithful and to be fruitful and to multiply, the great deceiver came in with distraction. Right? And remember, in the sense of distraction was he came with temptation. And the temptation was, hey, did God really say that? So it's important to know, if you're on mission with God, that there will always, always, always be distraction. There will always be temptation. Remember what it says in 
2 Samuel chapter 11. If you know 2 Samuel chapter 11, 2 Samuel chapter 11 is all about the story of David and Bathsheba. And if you read the very first, the very first verses in that chapter, it says this. It was when the kings were supposed to be at war. And where's David? Not at war. David was distracted. And what happens in David's distraction? David goes up on the top of the palace and overlooks the city that God had given him, and there's another distraction. A beautiful woman. And in that distraction, the serpent says, you can have her. That's another distraction. We see over and over and over, in just that one chapter, all the distractions that came. You see, because if Satan can distract us, Satan can get us off course of what God's called us to. And the moment that we're off course of what God called us to, that we will no longer have the strength of the Lord. We'll do it in our own strength. That's what Satan wants to do over and over, is to get up off of mission with God so that we can become self-reliant. Once we become self-reliant, we are destined to fail every time. Because we will no longer do what Paul says, he who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. We will insert that word he and assert it will I. I will surely do it. That's what happens with distraction. So what is our response when we are distracted? Here's what we do know. We do know that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says, no temptation. There will be temptation. Though I know it says there is no temptation that has seized you, but you've got to read that in English. Therefore, there is going to be temptation. What do we do in our temptation? We look at what Nehemiah did. Verse 2. The very first thing that we see that Nehemiah does in verse 2. He says these two men came. Let us meet together. In the, the plain of Ono, oh no. Verse 2b says this. What they intended to do harm to me. The very first thing that we see is that Nehemiah was a man of great discernment. You see, he saw the temptation. He saw the distraction coming. He heard it over and over again. And yet, Nehemiah was a man of great discernment. We'll get to how he was a man of great discernment. If you've been with us any length of time, you know that Nehemiah was a man of great discernment because he was a man of God. He spent time with God. Through prayer, he spent time in fasting Remember, before he ever went to the wall, he wept over the wall. He spent time with God. Therefore, he had the Spirit of God in him. Therefore, he had the Spirit of discernment in him. The first thing that we must have when temptation comes or distraction comes, we must have the discernment to know if it's from God or from uh, the enemy. Discernment. Here's the other thing that we see. Nehemiah's response in verse 3. He says, let us meet together. They intended to do me harm. And I sent a messenger, messengers back to them saying, I am doing a great work. I said to underline that in your Bible. And I cannot come down. Why should I stop while I'm le and leave it and come down to you? The second thing that we see, Nehemiah was a man of a, a single-minded man. Nehemiah was so focused on rebuilding the wall because that's what God had called him to. I think the first thing that we must realize here with distraction, again, there will always be distraction. Are we single-minded? 
Do we know what God has called us to? Do you know what God has called you to? Because if you do not know what God has called you to, you will become very distracted. You will not have a single-mindedness about you. I will not have a single-mindedness to me. Therefore, when anything good comes along, I'll do it rather than doing what great is. You see, Nehemiah wasn't willing to do what was good. He wanted to do what was great. And what was great was to be on mission with God and to rebuild the walls. Therefore, he was single-minded. I love what this commentary Terry says about this, about temptation, about distraction. It says, in the Christian life, no victory over the temptation to do wrong can ever be final because the temptation is always sure to return. I know that doesn't sound encouraging this morning. But just because you have gone about your life and you've overcome one temptation, don't think just because you've overcome that temptation, the temptation won't come again. That's where Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. But what? God is faithful. And He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He always provides the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So this morning for us, in temptation, in distraction, know this, it's coming again. As a man that's been open and honest in my own recovery, in my own addiction, my addiction did not go away because I went to treatment for 84 days. It hit me like a sandblast the moment I left treatment. It came tenfold. See, all the moments that you and I are in here serving the Lord and coming in here, know this, Satan is out there on the front porch doing push-ups, getting ready for you to come back out there. Satan never takes a break. Satan's whole goal is to remove the people of God from being on mission with God. Because Satan knows his eternity. He already knows what's going to happen to him. He knows that he is separated from God forever and ever and ever and ever, and he's not happy about it. Therefore, he's doing whatever he can to rally people onto his cause. Therefore, he's working harder at staying and uh, attacking us than we are at attacking him. I guarantee that. There will always be distraction. And so this morning for you, before we go on to the next one, what are the distractions that divert your attention from God's activity in your life? What is it in your life this morning that is the most distracting thing to you, that is robbing you of your attention from God and God's activity in your life and from being on mission with God? Is it your kids? Is it your job? Is it your neighbors? Is it You fill in the blank. Is it watching too much TV? Is it reading too many books? Are you doing what is good? Are you doing what is great? That's the question I had to ask myself all week. What is in my life today that has distracted me from the holiness of God and being on mission with God every moment of the day? Because those things, when I really come to those things and really get honest about those things, that's what's going to drive me to my knees to pray out to a holy God. I cannot do this, God, but you are faithful. 
and you will surely do it. But it has to be my recognition that there is distraction and my recognition will bring me to a place of true humility to ask God to do for me what I cannot do for myself. There will always be distraction. The second thing that we see is this. There will always be deception. We saw that at the very beginning as I quoted in Genesis chapter 3. Deception is this, to mislead, to cause, to believe what is false or to disbelieve what is true. We see that in verse 5. Remember, he says to them four times, no, I'm not coming down there. I'm not going to be distracted from being on mission with God. And so they send them a fifth time the same message, but this time they send it in an open letter. Now, that may not mean a whole lot to you and to me, but circle that word, those two words in your Bible, an open letter. An open letter was simply that. It was a letter left open so that whoever had it had the right and the ability to read the letter. So here's these enemies of Nehemiah, and then they write a letter that's open, hoping that this will begin to spread out all over uh, Israel, that Nehemiah, because it it then accuses them in the letter of what the accusation is. In verse 6, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That's not a true statement, correct? Nehemiah never in his heart wanted to rebel. Nehemiah's whole purpose was to rebuild the wall so that the people of God would have a place to worship God. And so here's this letter that begins to percolate all over the nation that Nehemiah, maybe his true intentions were to cause rebellion. So their hope was, hey, maybe we can distract and then deceive people uh, to believe that Nehemiah's heart is wicked rather than righteous. It says that This is why you are building the walls. According to these reports, you wish to become their king. That was never Nehemiah's heart. Nehemiah never wanted to be the king of the people. And you have also set up prophets to to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. So he's saying now you've also gotten the religious people involved. All these things were untrue statements about Nehemiah with the hope that the people that were rebuilding the walls to go worship God would turn on Nehemiah. There will always be deception. If we do the things of God, people will talk poorly about us. You see, because Satan knows if we begin to have people talk poorly about us, there's something in us, God created it, to be in attachment with other human beings, to be in relationship with other human beings. Therefore, when things are said bad about us, we feel bad about ourselves and quit doing the things that we're doing so no one ever talks bad about us again. So here Nehemiah is doing the very thing God has called him to do, and now they begin to attack his character through deception. I don't know if that's ever happened to you before. Has anyone ever attacked you and your character when you were doing the things of God. It's so discouraging. It's one of those old sayings, we all know it. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but boy, maybe I'm the only one that knows it. Holy cow. Let's try that again. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but okay, good. Man, I, I was hoping it'd make its way to Tennessee. I didn't think it started in Texas. 
That's the biggest lie on the planet. Words hurt more than sticks and stones. And so what happens is we begin to get our feelings hurt, and then therefore we quit doing the things of God, and then we begin to believe the lies that are being attacked against us. This happened to me when I was 18 years old. I remember coming to know Christ my senior year of high school. I went off to camp to work at a, a Christian camp and began to feel the call to ministry. And I was sitting uh, that summer telling my mom about... Uh, see, the bad part about this going on the internet now, this is going to... I hope my mom doesn't know how to work the internet. If she does, she just heard that too. This is bad. Stick to your notes, Todd. Wow. I digress to myself. Anyway, I was sitting with my mom, and my mom began to use words of discouragement to bring me away from the call of God. I never forget walking away from that meeting thinking, man, can I really provide for my family? That's, those are her words. You go into the ministry, you won't be able to provide for your family. I began to question the call on my life that God had uniquely placed on my life. How so? Through deception. I began to believe the lies that Satan was trying to whisper to me. And so I thought to myself, is that true? Is that true? Are those lies true? When I began to get people to assassinate my character, I began to question that as well. I don't know where you're at in that, how people have used words to distract you and to deceive you from doing the very call that God's placed on your life. Three things that we see we must do the way Nehemiah does it. We see this throughout Nehemiah, not just here in chapter 6. The first thing is this. Remember, we saw it last week. Nehemiah examined himself. Remember, he got angry, and in getting angry, he retreated and examined his own heart to see if his anger was righteous or not, to see if he was in the right place. We must examine ourselves when deception comes. We taught this verse, these verses to the children at VBS a few weeks ago. We must ask God this question the way the psalmist asked God in Psalm 139, 23 through 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. You see, when accusations come, I must sit and examine, are those accusations true? Because there's been other times that people have accused me of stuff and they're dead on. And in my wickedness, I, I want to rebel against that. And so when accusations come, when deceptions come, I must get away with the Lord and ask God, hey God, is this true about me? And if it's true about me, forgive me and lead me in the way of everlasting. I must examine myself. So often we want to blow off other people's critique on us. We want to just be in our discouragement and say it never could happen. That can't be true. And maybe it is true. So the first thing we must do is examine ourselves. The second thing we must do is what Nehemiah did. It happens again later in the passage. Remember that, that another man comes to him. We'll get there in a moment. Another man comes to Nehemiah uh, and says this. Um, it says in, in verse 7, or verse 8, And then I sent him, these two men, a report back, No such thing, uh, as you say, have been done, have been done, 
and you are inventing them in your own mind. He examined himself. He said, they're, they're far from the truth. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking that their hands, the people of God, their hands will become weary and drop from doing work and quit doing the work, um, that, and it will be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen our hands. Verse 10 says this, And now when I went to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of, I don't know why God did this, put these names. He, why couldn't he just call him Matthew or something? Who was confined to his home, he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by the night. And verse 11 and 12 talk about Nehemiah understood the Scriptures. Under, uh, Nehemiah understood that he was not permitted to go into the temple of God, that he was not a prophet, that he was not a priest, and only prophets and priests were allowed into the temple of God. Only those men could go in and lock the door behind them. And so Nehemiah knew the Scriptures. Nehemiah was a man that not only knew himself, but he knew the very words of God. It's what the psalmist says in Psalm chapter 119, 11. Nehemiah did this. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You see, when deception comes, we must have the truth to outwit the lies. The only truth is this. This is the only truth that we have. This is God's truth revealed to us, given to us. Have we saturated our hearts with this so that when deception comes, we can take that deception and take it back to God's Word? You see, God's Word never contradicts itself. Satan contradicts himself over and over and over and over again. Do we know the Word of God? Do we know it? Here's the crazy part. The godly men, the back in the day, and then they became wicked, the scribes and the Pharisees, but the priests and the Levites, it was said if you rolled up the Torah of God, the first five books of the Old Testament, and you were to drive a nail through the Torah when it was rolled up, without unrolling the Torah, the men of God knew God's Word so much that they could tell you every single word the nail had pierced without ever unrolling the Word of God. They had memorized the first five books of the Bible. They knew the Word of God. And God is calling us to do the same thing. Do we know God's Word? The last thing is this. When it comes to deception, not only do we need to know ourselves, not only do we need to know the Scriptures, but we must know God. We'll know God by knowing His Word, but we must know the character of God. The character of God never changes, amen? God is faithful. He's unchangeable. Turn with me real fast to Psalm chapter 7. You see, David knew God, knew the character of God. It was said about David that David was a man after God's own heart. He knew God. And throughout the Psalms, we can see verse after verse after verse, this man that knew God. We won't read it all this morning, but when you go home this afternoon, this, this week, read chapter 7 in the midst of this thought, do I know God? Because here's a few things that's true about who God is. 
verse 1 and 2 tell us that God is our refuge. Amen? Verses 3 through 9 talk about God being the judge. Verse 10 talks about God being our shield. And over and over and over again, through this chapter, through the chapters of Psalm, we see a man that desperately is in need of God and therefore he knows God intimately. Do we know God this morning? Because if we know God, then when we ask ourselves this question, what are the lies that we believe today, we can take the truth of God and we can take the knowledge of God and combat the lies. Because if we do not know God and we do not know ourselves and we do not know the Scriptures, when the lies come, we will sit and we begin to believe the lies. And in believing the lies, we get off on mission with God. Most people say laziness is what takes us away from being on mission with God. I don't believe that. I believe it's that we don't know ourselves and we don't know the Scriptures and we don't know God. Because if that were true about us, we would never be lazy. The last thing that we see Nehemiah face is distress. Remember Nehemiah, they want to kill Nehemiah. They want to harm him. In Nehemiah 9 through 14, they say, you know, they want to kill you. They want to kill you by night. It says, but I said, should such a man as I run away, and said, what a man such as I could go into the temple and live, I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but that he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalot had hired him. This man of God, this priest of God, was bought out by his enemies, in other words. It says, For this purpose he was hired that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Then he says this in verse 14. Remember, he's praying to God, remember Tobiah and Stambalot. This is a precatory prayer. A precatory prayer is just simply when we ask God for God's judgment on our enemies. And that's what he's doing. God, remember them. Remember their sin. Deal with their sin. And he says, and the rest of the prophets wanted to make me afraid. There will always be distraction there will always be deception there will always be distress when we do the things of God there will always be trouble and so what God what Satan does is he wants to use our anxiety or our fear to move us away from doing what God has called us to do that's what they're trying to do hey they're going to kill you and so in that his uh, fear he's trying to cause Nehemiah to have fear cause him to have anxiety and in his anxiety the hope is that he'll be paralyzed and the hope is that through his paralysis, he'll no longer work on the wall or call the people of God to do the things of God. And so this morning, for you as we continue, what are you afraid of this morning? What are you anxious about this morning? What are you insecure about this morning? What are those places that if people were to say something to you through distraction or deception, that would bring great distress on you through your anxiety. You know, being a counselor, the saddest thing that I see are those that are the anxious people. 
It's not the depressed people, it's the anxious people. Because so often in our anxiety, we do more than we do rest. Because in our anxiety, we think we've got to do, 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 and do. Which causes us to have great, great distraction. And so I must ask myself, what am I afraid of this morning? What distracts me this morning? What causes anxiety in me this morning? What am I insecure about this morning? That will lead us into the rest of this passage. Because there will always be difficulty. And in the midst of difficulty, verse 11, we must remember this. Let's read verse 11 again. But I said, should such a man as I run away? And what a man should I go, could go into the temple and live? I will not go. But I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but that he had pronounced the prophecy against me. He goes on and, and says it again. What do we do? We must remember that God will, will never desert us. He remembers God in that moment. Remember, he's, his, all this has happened to him. And where does he turn? He turns back to God through prayer. He remembers God's promises. And he cries out to a holy God. For the sake of time, we'll skip down to the last few verses. And the question you may be asking, and the question I ask is this. God, what was the reason three straight chapters in a row you brought this man through great opposition. I believe it's found in verses 15 and 16. It's, it's true for us this morning. What does God bring us through opposition for? Let's read verses 15 and 16. It says, And so the wall was finished. On the 20th day of the month, and with 52 days, it took him 52 days to rebuild the wall. It took him 52 days. They were in 52 days of straight opposition. But they completed the task that God had put on them to complete the wall. They finished the mission of God through all the opposition. And then it says this. I believe this is what God calls us on mission for. I believe this is what causes opposition. I believe this is what we must remember when the opposition comes. If we complete the task. If we stay faithful to doing what God has called us to do in verse 16. And when all of our enemies heard of it, and all the nations around us, were afraid and felt greatly in their own esteem, for they what they perceived that the work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Let me read that one more time. The work had been done, the people all around them, the enemies heard, and what did the enemies do? The enemies understood it was not Nehemiah and the men that had completed it, but that there was a great God that had completed it. I believe so often God brings opposition into our lives that when we remain faithful to Him through the opposition, the burden that is opposing us will see the God's big greatness and the faithfulness of God, and therefore they will have the fear of God. Now, I, it's not the recipe I'd work up that people would come to know God, but God uses opposition to turn our foes to Him so that people can see our steadfastness, but it's not our steadfastness, it's the love of God and it's our faithfulness that reveals His faithfulness back to us. So often, God gives, will strengthen our, us through our difficulty so that the people around us will see the glory of God. And so maybe you're here this morning 
And maybe you're distracted this morning. And maybe you're being deceived this morning. And maybe you're in distress this morning. And maybe you're crying out to God and you're asking God, what are you doing to this to me for God? My hope would be this, that you would say, God, help me be faithful to you because you are faithful to me. Remember what we read at the very beginning. He who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. God will get you through it, amen? I know it doesn't feel like that today. But God's promise says he is faithful. And God is a faithful God and God will see us through all of our opposition. And it's not for you, but it's for his name. It's for his glory. It's for his renown. That God would use our opposition to call out sinners to himself. That may be the reason you're going through what you're going through. That may be it. You may be in the middle of a crisis today through a lot of opposition and God wants to use you to redeem your family that's even doing the opposition. God, you may be at your workplace and God wants to use you through that opposition to redeem people to himself through your faithfulness back to him. I don't know what it is, but I do know that God is faithful and true and holy and righteous and God who has called us will be faithful to the end. Amen? And so in closing, three questions that we must ask ourselves. Do you believe God will provide you with the strength to accomplish His work in and through your life? Do you believe that? Do I believe that? Second, are you allowing opposition to keep you from doing the work of God that God has called you to do? The third one is this. Are you looking to Christ Jesus as your example of what faithfulness to God's work looked like? Remember, the greatest man to ever walk the planet faced opposition every single day. And he remained faithful to the call of God on his life. Let us look through the Gospels to see how a man remained faithful in spite of all the chaos. And in closing, two verses to read and to pray over us. Hebrews chapter 2, 12. Is this true about you? Is it true about me? Looking to Christ Jesus, the founder and the the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of God. Paul says it again this way. Philippians 1.6 And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. God is not through people. God is not through doing a work in you first, so therefore He can do a work through you. I'll read that one more time as a prayer over us and as a promise for us all to hold on to in this moment, the same way I believe Nehemiah held on to it. And I am sure of this, that He, Christ Jesus, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Let us remain faithful to him because he's remained faithful to us. Let us pray.
God, this series for me through Nehemiah has been so challenging. God, I'm not saying I want to run into opposition. I'm not saying that your people want to run to opposition. I just pray that you'd give us the strength when it comes, we'd go through opposition, God. Because you are faithful and you are good and you are righteous and you are steadfast and you give us all the strength. You, you, we see it in Nehemiah. Oh, God, give us the strength to complete the task. I'm grateful for your faithfulness, God. I'm thankful for your faithfulness, Christ Jesus. And Holy Spirit, I'm thankful for your faithfulness to us. God, you know where every single child of yours sits in this very moment and where they're at. God, I pray if they're discouraged, if there's opposition in their life, they would leave here with great encouragement that you are faithful. God, I pray for those who do not know you, who have not trusted you, who you have not called and you have not redeemed, that today, God, you would redeem them, that you in this moment would give them great hope. Because, God, you are our only hope through opposition. We have no other hope but you. And so, God, I pray if there's anyone in the room this morning that is hopeless and desperate and does not know you, that you in this moment would draw them to yourself and that you would instill your hope into them. as we've been saying all morning, we're grateful for your faithfulness to us as believers and to us today as we celebrate 141 years. God, it's not 140 years of what the people of God has done, what the people of Palace Chapel have done for 141 years, but we celebrate today 141 years of your faithfulness of your goodness, of your blessings, God. It's you that we celebrate. We do not celebrate this building. We do not celebrate your people. We celebrate you and your faithfulness. God, you are faithful. You are righteous. You are holy. And you pour out your goodness onto us. Let us celebrate that today. And God, again, in closing, as Paul said, And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Amen. If you're here this morning and you're going,